Hola, hello, bienvenido, and welcome. My name is Annette Perel. I'm a proud Afro-Latina of Panamanian descent and a doula for over 17 years and mom of a son. I created this podcast to help connect people to other Black, Latino, and Indigenous people in the birth field. I also want my listeners to hear birth stories directly from the parents who experience them. Welcome to the Clear Birth Podcast. We listen to machines. Oh, the lab work says this. But if the person that I am serving is saying to me, hey, something doesn't feel right, I'm going to stop. And that's going to take precedence over everything else. I don't care what that blood work says. I'm going to ask more questions because they're in their body. Who feels it knows it, right? And we don't do that. We do not do that for more so for Black and brown women. But I don't think we do that in general for women, period. On today's show, I'm going to be speaking with Nubia Earth Martin, who has been on the show before. But this will be a little different. This won't be an interview. It will be more of a conversation. There have been several incidences that have happened in the news recently that have been affecting just my mental health. A lot of it is centered around birth and intergenerational trauma. We'll be speaking about the Derek Chauvin trial. There was an incident at the Jazz Birthing Center where a doula recorded her client being spoken to in a way that showed medical violence. And also cultural appropriation. There are two doulas who are spearheading a conversation around the use of the rebozo and whether or not it should be taught as a regular part of doula training. So in speaking with Nubia, we get a little clarity on how we can manage navigating these difficult challenges and also being present and available to help people in birth work. Nubia, I want to welcome you back to my show. The, um, there have been some developments of things that have happened, and I just value your perspective. And I've seen you speak on, on Instagram and on your lives about um, incidences that have these incidences that have happened um, from a different perspective. And I think it was like really important to hear your voice and to amplify these messages a little bit louder. And like, so there's, there's three things that I had really wanted to talk about. Um, the first one, you know, we are talking about trauma, especially with watching the trial. And I know I found myself last week being very saddened and just totally affected by listening to it, hearing about it. Um, I had to turn it off several times and even on the recaps. And you brought up a very poignant part, point about, you know, intergenerational trauma as well as, um, intergenerational, uh, inter, what was it again? Inter, not intergenerational trauma, intergenerational, sorry. Ancestral trauma. Ancestral trauma. Intergenerational ancestral trauma, um, is as it relates to, to George Floyd and um, just several things, even the incident that happened with um, Sunday Cervix and her being reported um, 
a doctor midwife being reported by someone in the community as well for her conversation and her language. So I'd like to talk about that. And then thirdly, also, I'd love to talk about the um, incident that happened with the doula at the Jazz Birth Center, and then also kind of like tie it all in with... Um, the birthing Bronx, the the Bronx birthing center, Bronx birthing yeah. place that's going to happen because I feel like we need to get, we need to amplify that more. So, yeah. yeah so the first one we were talking about, you were talking yeah. about was the intergenerational ancestral trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we often don't have a space to talk about those things. We do talk a lot about trauma and triggers. I think that's been a conversation that has been more um, the norm yes. recently that people are addressing their traumas, but we don't always talk about like the unseen, you know, kind mm-hmm. of traumas that maybe part of our cellular DNA or part of our, you know, ancestry and history that we n- weren't necessarily our lived experiences, but it's still deep seated, you know, within us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when I when I think about the different things that we're experiencing in terms of fighting for birth equity and um, just fighting for equity on all fronts in this country. It always goes back for me to the fact that this country was steeped in bread and racism. And until we actually, you know, acknowledge that and begin to have real honest conversations about that, we're going to keep repeating, you know, those same types of traumas. And yeah, watching the George Floyd, um, you know, the case, I feel like watching it, I can already tell which way the judge is somewhat leaning, which is disheartening for me. Yes. Um, Because I know that our system is far from perfect, obviously, but you take an oath to be impartial um, and to hear both sides of the story, even though this is a case where everybody nationwide witnessed this man's murder, Mm -hmm. um, but just his manner. And it makes me think that, you know, back during the transatlantic slave trade, we had, you know, people who were fighting, you know, for us. And then you have people who were not, and they all have descendants. They all have, you know, people who um, have continued their family lines. And sometimes that is the way things continue, that the same ones who were at picnics and celebrating and watching and enjoying food while Black people and Black bodies hung from trees, those are sometimes the people who are sitting, you know. In our courtrooms. That's right. That's right. You know, or be, have a shield, you know, yes. on their chest or a badge on their you know, chest. And we have to remember that um, when we're sometimes fighting for justice, that this is what we're up against. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. And, you know, my heart aches for his family because I heard a quote where they were saying, you know, we hope that this will be the time that we get justice. And I feel that every time we've had a situation like this, we're always hoping that this will be the time. And I was looking back and, and thinking and reflecting that the only time that I know of, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, that a police officer was actually taken to task was the Asian police officer who um, shot somebody in the projects. And in that situation, even though I, I was not there and I don't know all the details, that I feel honestly was a mistake. It was a dark hallway. Yes. He wasn't sure. Exactly. You know? So the fact that he became the quote unquote scapegoat in a situation where I don't necessarily think he should have um, been convicted. Mm-hmm. And then we have actual footage where we see blow by blow what happens and we don't get justice. Mm-hmm. That 
those are the um those are the types of things that we have to continue to amplify our voices and speak up and out against. Yeah. And, you know, we also don't realize, like you mentioned, not only are they the judges, but also wear badges, but they're also in our medical system as well, in the sense that, you know, it is hard for them to see our humanity and, and understand the ways in which they continue to reinforce these norms, um, these, you know, unjust, very biased social norms about black and brown and Latino people. And, you know, in part, when we talk about intergenerational trauma and the traumas and just not only the trauma of the slave trade, right? And then coming here and the trauma of having to make a new way, having to um, adjust and acclimate to living here. And then also the loss of language, the loss of, of family, the loss of ancestors, um, and how that, like you said, th- they have descendants, all of that we've carried inside of us. And now we have descendants. And now all of these hundreds of years later, we're coming to terms with the fact that we know that these things have affected us and continue to affect us. But yet and still, there are some of our people who don't. And how do we manage? Like, how do you manage the justification of the ones who just can't see that are even our own people? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's the loss of all communication. You know, the fact that um, our language, you know, was stripped from us, Um we use the drum as a means to communicate mm-hmm. that was stripped from us. We began then stomping our feet. That's where, you know, hoofing and tap dancing came from. Mm-hmm. So we've always been trying to find our voice and communicate. But, you know, that divide and conquer concept yeah. is very much prevalent. That was the biggest part of being able to take down a group of people or attempt to, right, right? is to get the people who are being oppressed to buy into this hierarchy system within slavery. Yeah. Right. So it's like, at the end of the day, we're all slaves, yes. you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, one's experience, you know, might've been quote unquote harsher, but nobody had, you know, freedom or free will or the ability to express themselves yeah. um, in the way that they wanted to. But that concept was created to make sure that we did not come together because that's their biggest fear. Mm -hmm. So when we think about, you know, the Black Panthers, when we think about, um, I don't know if you watched um, Judas and the Black Messiah, but they get into COINTELPRO. You know, Mm -hmm. there were actual programs, counterintelligence programs to prevent the quote-unquote rising of a Black Messiah because Mm -hmm. that is their biggest fear. Mm -hmm. Somebody speaking truth to their people and the people actually listening, right? So effective communication and understanding amongst a group of people is their biggest fear because then you don't buy into the social constructs of, you know, being dependent on a system that is not set up for you. Um, So, you know, when I say we look at modern day and see how people navigate the world, it's not hard to look back and see who they may have been on the plantation, right? So, you know, you might have had the people who, you know, by any means necessary were fighting and running and battling. You know, you had people who were, I'm going to make the most out of the situation because that's what's within me to do. And then Mm -hmm. you had people who were, you know, the run, tell, master people. Yeah. And that's what we saw happen with, you know, Sunday cervix, where that person who wrote, that letter felt the need to say, and I as a black woman feel, and I'm like, but you're going to take one aspect of your personal opinion about how you feel about this person yeah. and negate 
all of the things she's trying to do, not for herself, yeah. but for us as a people. And, a and that's extremely dangerous because when you have connections to people who have, you know, the complexion for protection, let's yes. say, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. that that can be devastating to somebody's efforts. And I applaud the fact that um, Dr. Midwife is um, not letting that stop her, but it's hurt. It is hurtful. It is it's hurtful. upsetting when you know that your goal is the betterment of all of your people and somebody cannot see that and would do all that they can in their power to hold you back, which in turn holds them back too. Yeah. You know, yeah. the idea of when people think, oh, well, I'm accepted by, you know, this hierarchical society. So I am part of them. You're never going to be part no. of them. No. You know, they will let you have just enough so that they can utilize you mm-hmm. to take down others who are speaking out against the things that we know are oppressing us. Yeah. You know, I think what is the hardest for most people to um, understand about Dr. Midwife is that her message isn't for everybody, right? Right. Um, what she is trying to do is for the betterment of black and brown bodies. And if the, what, I find the hardest to understand is if the message isn't for you, you have the ability to keep scrolling. But this person intentionally goes on her lives and listens to what she has to say and then takes key points. Well, not even key points, just take points that affect her and put it in the eye as opposed to the greater good of like, what is this woman trying to accomplish? And instead of calling her in, like you said, the the loss of communication, right? right? Did you call her in? Did you reach out to her and say, listen, I'd like to talk to you because I feel that this would be a better way to go about or just even having a conversation with her. But right. none of that was had. But instead, like you mentioned, you know, the whole I'm run and tell Massa that's mm-hmm. going to affect the the greater good of everyone. I, I forgot how. Oh, I got introduced to to Dr. Midwife. Someone had sent sent her to me about a year or so ago. And I I listened to her and I was like, I started following her and I was just like, you know, She's speaking to a particular person. She sometimes when you have to tell a message, like, you know, there's a Malcolm and there's a Martin, (laughs) you know, and that is just the case. And, and, and even towards the end, Malcolm realized he needed to be more like Martin. That's right. Because there, that peaceful protest, the let's go along to get along so they can see us doesn't work and it didn't work. And, right. and now we're looking at birth and saving lives where I think, I think I heard in one of her last Sunday cervix where she mentioned that at Alabama, Atlanta, sorry, Alabama, Atlanta is like number three and the worst cases for maternal mortality amongst black and brown women and just for healthcare in general and getting care. And it's so frustrating when we know what the solution is. Yes. Um, that's the part. And then there are so many barriers and gatekeeping efforts to stop us from being able to do that. So I understand her passion. Mm-hmm. I understand um, the energy that she comes with because yes. we're in a, an emergency state. This yeah. is a crisis and we're not seeing it addressed that way um, by the general you know, population mm-hmm. or the general public. So that means we need to have people who are outspoken. And, you know, what you were just saying, I think you said it in reverse, but Martin was leaning more towards Malcolm's way of thinking. Sorry, Martin, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I know I know what you meant. <laughs> but, you know, and, and it's true because, you know, yes, you try sometimes the 
um, path of least resistance, yeah. you know, obviously. And if that works, great. But what we're seeing is there's so many layers to this and it's so many years of indoctrinating people to a certain way of thinking that mm-hmm. we cannot take the passive, you know, yeah. um, route. Yeah. we have to be um, very much on the, on the front lines with this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, social media is a platform to be able to reach a lot of people in a short amount of time and get a message out. And especially when things are culminating as fast as they are yeah. by week, like you said, you know, there's several things that we want to talk about today because things continue to happen. And unfortunately they're not like, Oh great. Look, we made an improvement. Yes. It's, Damn, another one? Another okay, one. Okay, you know, another situation. And we do have to call, you know, people out when they are being abusive, because if not, they continue to perpetuate that same abuse. Yeah. If not in that institution, somewhere else. Yeah. What I have the hardest time with in managing um, all of these stories and these, these everything that's coming is, is the state at which, you know, I, I'm really kind of like, if it makes sense, it makes dollars, right? It's common sense is not something that everyone has or even understands when it comes to, to even in the medical system or, you know, or even let's go, let's go into doulas and training, right? Like, yeah. like I saw, I believe, I, I believe it was you that I saw that, um, if it wasn't you, it was either Chanel Portia and we talked, you talked about like, do this work. Right. Just get out there and do the work. You don't need the paper to do the work. But I think what people have the hardest time selling is that they believe they need the paper to do the work. Like you don't, there's, we've been doing doula work our entire lives, like before they, they coined the term doula, which even the word is problematic in itself because it's a Greek word that means slave. Um, you know, I met a, I met a client one time and, um, her mother, they're Muslim. And she said, she thinks she doesn't believe that the word came from, that's where the word came from. She mm. believes that the word came from Madula Ablangada, right? Mm, And she said, and the oblongata is the part of the brain that controls compassion, senses, creativity. So I was like, I like that term instead when it comes to doula. Um, But, you know, I think it's hard to kind of sell people on the fact that they're not certified. Like, what do you, what do you... um, counsel for, say, someone coming and saying, I'm a doula and I want to do this work, but the certification, how do I get across that? There's a, that's just another barrier to entry. It's just another way, especially for the institutions, which I won't, you know, name names, but <laughs> who right. want you to certi- recertify every year yeah, and do the work. Is a money making for it's them. Exactly. And, you know, I think when we're talking about labor support, right? And we're not talking about necessarily um, clinical care or medical advice. We're talking about labor support. And this goes back to autonomy and, you know, birth care and reproductive rights. You get to choose who you want to be there, whether that person has all the letters and certifications behind their name or they're your best friend and you feel safe with them. Mm -hmm. And Obviously, you want to have, you know, some understanding of the stages of labor and different, you know, appropriate comfort measures and all of that. But I implore people to look and see what resonates with you and not what, you know, paperwork is going to go behind that. Because when somebody really is um, seeking out your care, 
they should be wanting to know what your experience is, um, what your approach to labor support is, all of those things. Way more important. Um, Right. Then what that piece of paper means, because I know many people who've gone through those trainings who then reach out to me and they say, look, I did this training because I felt like I needed the paper, but I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I do your training. And, you know, that that shouldn't happen because then we're not actually serving anybody. Mm -hmm. If you're out there and you don't feel equipped based on the training that you went through, but you paid a bunch of money to have, you know, some letters behind your name, that's a problem. And a lot of these programs, you know, are not community based and they're money making ploys and people get caught up in that. So I implore people to really look and see what's important to you. If the letters are important to you, by all means, Mm -hmm. you know, go ahead. But if this is work that you're doing out of, you know, true dedication and passion, then there there's more than one way to approach different things. Um, And I always tell people that that was one of the best lessons I got from one of my preceptors. She would always say to me, learn a different way, you know, learn a different way. And that made me think about things in in a different, you know, context than just what I was being taught at school. It made me question things. It made me do more research on my own. And yes, come up with a different way. And that has served me really well because, you know, some of the things that we're learning in school are from a fear-based, you Definitely. Know, place. Definitely. Definitely. I always felt that, you know, when, when the organization that I got trained with spoke about um, no advocacy, <laughs> I I was like, that's not what I do. Right. And you're not in the room with me because everything, my mere existence in that room is is advocacy. Even if I don't say a word, that's I'm right. advocating for, for that client. So for the conflicting message of you can't advocate and, and anyone can have an advocate. It does not have, you don't have to be a medical professional to advocate on care because that's what we're, we're advocating on. And just the obstetrical violence right. that we see on a, that they won't equate it to that as obstetrical yeah. violence. And, and this kind of leads into, you know, the incident that happened at the, the birthing center, the jazz birthing center, where there was a doula who um, recorded an incident that was happening between her client and her client was laboring. And um, the midwife came in and felt that she wasn't progressing or because she was advocating for herself, had, the midwife had become very adversarial towards the laboring mom and everyone in the room. And what struck me about that is like, I've, I've seen this before. I've been in a room like this before. This is, is happened. And, but what was bothersome about it is that this doesn't happen to my white clients. Right. And we don't expect this to happen at a birthing at center. At a birthing center. Right? I mean, we kind of prepare ourselves to go into a hospital yes. knowing that, you know, it's a mixed bag depending on who's on call, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. which nurse we get, exactly. all of those things. And it's interesting that they find our advocacy, um, it equates to them for as aggression, mm-hmm. you know? And it's it's not aggression. It's being able to, again, you know, that, that level of communication and speaking up for ourselves, which has been suppressed for us for many years. So now I think it's shocking yeah. when they're hearing us speak up and, you know, saying, well, actually, no, you know, I do know this about my body or and also why they don't listen when we have a complaint about, you know, something not being right, because we're used to being silenced. They're yeah. used to us 
being seen and not heard, Mm -hmm. falling in line, and we're shaking all of that up. And, you know, what I found interesting with the scenario at the um, Jazz Birthing Center was it wasn't the doula who was, you know, speaking up for her. It was this mom, even though she was in the throes of labor, Mm -hmm. even though she was in between contractions and well advanced, you know, in her labor that any, any, even a lay person, you know, could see and hear that. But this provider seemed to have already made up her mind because this woman didn't follow the, um, you know, the, the norms of, yes, check me as many times as you want. Yeah. You know, I completely surrender my body to you. She mm-hmm. was like, look, you know, I have a history here, which they should know because yes. she was, you know, their Under client. Their care. So mm-hmm. There's a certain way that you approach somebody based on their history. And that is what midwifery is supposed to be about. Not a one size fits all approach that you are supposed to then adapt your care based on the needs of the client that you're serving in that moment. So when she started running down the list of all the things that could go wrong that did not apply to this mom, Mm -hmm. that was inappropriate. That was a fear-based, you know, scare Coercion, exactly. Yes. And then to go back to, we could lose our accreditation. Which has nothing to do with this woman. For for her being in labor for more than 12 hours, which is not, you know, uncommon for a first-time mom, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so then again, it goes back to, so what is your main priority? Is it the safety and equitable care for the woman who trusts you to birth their your sensor? Or is it your own, you know, ass pretty much that you're trying to save? And in this case, I couldn't understand what would have been putting her at risk, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so then to have to make that hard decision to actually leave yeah. that facility and really trust your own body, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's a testament to, you know, when, when people would ask me, well, how are, you know, these moms faring, you know, with COVID and, and, you know, being afraid. And I said, actually, the women of color that I'm serving are doing quite well. Yeah. They're still having amazing births because that is part of our cellular DNA. Mm-hmm. That awakens that fear mm-hmm. and how we respond to it. You know, if we were running and we were pregnant and it was time to have our baby, we would stop. Yeah. We would squat. We would have that baby, strap that baby and keep going. Yeah. So that's something that is in us. But that scare tactic, you know, could have gone one of, you know, two ways. Yeah. She might have completely succumbed and maybe she would have had a completely different birth outcome in a hospital. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But what I what I'm coming to more of the conclusion is, and it's unfortunate, but it is what it is, is that, you know, a medical industrial complex is a medical industrial complex is a medical industrial complex. I don't care if you put birthing sensor behind the name of it Mm -hmm. or what, you know, if it's going to be operating in that way, it is a place of potential danger for us. And that's, that's a hard reckoning to come to when I think about the birthing place BX, because I still believe in that idea. Mm -hmm. And I believe in, you know, a birthing sensor that is run and, you know, operated and owned by midwives who, you know, and and all midwives are not created equal, but hopefully by midwives who understand what the true midwifery model is. Mm -hmm. But for myself personally, I've always known that I do not want to work within a medical industrial complex. I've always been drawn to home birth. That's for me. Mm -hmm. However, I do recognize that people need to have safe choices Mm -hmm. in all of the options. So my my hope for the birthing place BX is that it is able to come to fruition and all this red tape that we're still navigating doesn't hold it back much longer. And my involvement, you know, I would love to help, you know, direct or coordinate it. Um, but I my spirit is just saying to me that out of hospital 
and out of medical industrial complex is where the woman that I want to be directly serving yeah. um, needs to be. And that's pretty much who reaches out to me. So yeah. I also take my cue from, you know, that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting in this incident kind of like nailed that, you know, it mm-hmm. kind of nailed the point home. Like I was already feeling this way, but I'm trying to be as positive and optimistic, yeah. but when yeah especially when you have to answer to people like you know she was saying people are calling me and i have to answer to them yeah i don't i don't want that because that feels very reminiscent of the plantations yes yeah i I, what struck me about the story and i didn't i found this out after Mm -hmm. um i think i think i read it in the comments um but like you mentioned, she was she was eight she was far along in her labor. She was about eight centimeters, and then had to make the choice to get up, get dressed, and leave. And she they. One second, I I don't know how I feel about saying the next part of this because even yeah, though it's I out know. there, I don't I, I don't want anyone to get in trouble. Exactly, um, exactly. but. The mom decided and her husband decided that they were going to have a free birth. Yes. Yeah. And what got me the most about it, like, you know, I have always been, I haven't, in the beginning of my career, I was not in community. And then once I found community, part of what I enjoyed about community is the sharing of stories, right? And hearing Mm -hmm. stories. Like I heard a story one time of a doula who was at a birth and it was going too quick and she picked up the phone and called a midwife and the midwife just happened to be on that block. It was like kismet, right? The midwife happened to be on that block. She was like, this woman is having a fast labor. We're not going to make it. At nine one one's not going to make it. She was like, "I'm right here," and she came up. She helped them. Yes. Now this situation is a lot different, right? Because there's right. like no no care in that process. I know for me, hearing that story, what helped me. I had a similar situation with a client. The first um, birth that uh, that I caught, the first baby I caught. Mm-hmm. was something similar. My client was having a fast labor. I was on my way to her. I called another midwife. That midwife in the process was on the phone with me the entire time as I was there. And she yeah. lived in Brooklyn and was like, I will make it there. You will probably be there before me, but you have to catch this baby. And I was like, I'm not catching this baby. You need to come. And she was like, no, <laughs> you're going to catch this baby. I was like, I cannot do that. And she was like, yes, you can. I'm going to stay on the phone with you. So, you know, and it was, I got I got in, got there. But what what breaks my heart about this woman's situation is the fact that she then had to, in the throes of labor, had to get up and leave a place and they let her leave. Yeah. Not that, you know, with, with n- not an ounce of care for her, not yeah. an ounce of care for, for her child, her family. And I, I have, I'm having the hardest time wrapping my mind around how do we continue to serve people in these situations, in these places? Like her doula, I commend her and I think is great. And I'm, I'm, gr- I'm grateful that all of their ancestors were there to guide this baby earthside and that everything happened beautifully for them. Right. But what about the ones that we're, we're still in these, in these places and trying to direct them to say like, you, this is not the place for you. 
Like, how do we navigate informing people of what true choice and consent without having to say medical violence looks like uh, Sophia Chavez, 19 years old, who died two days after giving birth. Like, that's this is not. And we're saying that something is wrong. And I don't understand why we don't listen to that. We listen to machines. We listen to strips. We listen to, you know, we look at, oh, the lab work says this. But if the person that I am serving is saying to me, hey, something doesn't feel right, I'm going to stop. And that's going to take precedence over everything else. I don't care what that strip says. I don't care what that blood work says. I'm going to ask more questions because they're in their body. They, who feels it knows it, right? And we don't do that. We do not do that for, you know, I'll say more so for black and brown women, but I don't think we do that in general for women, period. Mm -hmm. Right. We're not, we're not listened to, we're not, we're not trusted, you know, like birth is not trusted. And then how somebody feels in their own body is not trusted. So that when you're walking into an institution, if if they've indoctrinated you, you're already thinking I'm walking in and I'm surrendering my body to you. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, thinking about the birth sensor incident, I can't imagine first baby, like that's what keeps my back in my head. Not like I've done this before. Okay, yes. fine. They're not mm-hmm. serving me right. I know I, I've done this before. I can only think the only thing that kicks in for her was my people have done this before, yeah. or maybe in another lifetime I've done yes. this before. But in this lifetime, this was yes. her first baby. And she got up out of the comfort of that pool because she felt that this was not, well, not even she felt they'd already said they were going to transfer her mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, like I'm going to come back in 12 minutes. It's like, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen in 12 minutes. And there was no danger yes. for her. Yeah. So yeah, it's disheartening. And to lose a 19 year old, I mean, it was bad enough. We lost two 26 year olds last yes, year that you know? as well. Um, we have to do better. And unfortunately, that means that while these gatekeeping procedures are still in effect, that there's going to take some real bravery for some of us to step completely over that fence. And, you know, I'm not telling anybody what to do, but if that's what you feel called to do, yeah. that's within you, then, you know, you do that to the best of your ability. And, um, you know, yeah, get some get some basic skills because that comes into play too. You know, I know that Dula said she's you know trained in CPR, she's trained in neonatal yes. resuscitation. Mm-hmm. You know, so it yes. wasn't like a decision of oh well, let's just see what happens. No, this was, yes, she's leaving. I don't want to completely abandon her and yeah. her decision to mm-hmm. no longer stay here and be abused or transferred to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do the best of, you know, of my ability, but nobody should be put in that situation, especially when she was planning to birth in the birthing center and there was no medical reason for her to transfer. Yeah. Yeah. I try to, I try to have these conversations with clients more so with my clients of color and, and I, I direct them to midwives all of the time. I'm like, speak to a midwife, speak to a midwife. I'm not telling you to have a home birth, but speak to a home birth midwife. But I think Mm -hmm. there needs to be something more. And I'm not sure what that is because even childbirth education um, is a little too late at that point 
right? Because right. you're dealing yeah. with the mother who yeah. is in her body and the husband who is not in that body and doesn't understand right. the process, right? Yeah. So what can we do to kind of get this word out? Right. Well, there, I, I, would, I agree with you that there definitely needs to be something more. And then also the fact that home birth midwives are, you know, they're overwhelmed. There's yeah. not that many, you yeah. know, so, um, you know, there's, there's burnout, there's, um, <clears throat> you know, them taking on maybe more than feels comfortable, but not wanting to turn somebody away yeah. and then, you know, have the guilt of if there is a negative outcome, like, mm-hmm. gosh, but if I had taken her, yes. you know, what, what have you, but I think, you know, preconception, um, how like this being a normal part of our conversation, if yeah. you are of childbearing, you know, years and, there's a possibility that you might become pregnant or might one day want to become pregnant, then you should understand, you know, the basics of anatomy and physiology. You should know what options are readily readily available to you in your community. You should have, yes, had a conversation with, you know, home birth midwife and OBGYN, um, know the birthing centers and what their protocols are and all of those things, maybe taking a tour of those facilities, even if it's a virtual one, sat in on one of their um, open houses, you know, to kind of, be well-versed to know what's right for me. There's Mm -hmm. not one size fits all. I can't tell somebody when somebody reaches out to me and says, Oh, I'm planning on having a birth. I don't know where to start. I can't say, Oh, I know the midwife for you. Yeah. But I want to hear what your concerns are. I also want to know what your, you know, past medical health is because that can play a part too. But more importantly, letting people know that if there are, pre-existing conditions like anemia or diabetes or things that can be changed and corrected with diet, you want to get ahead of that prior to being pregnant Mm -hmm. and the reasons why. And the healing, I can't, I can't speak to that, you know, more. That is so crucial to us moving forward, you know, in a better mind frame and in a better spirit, because even if you've done all the work this time, if that generational trauma is kind of sitting on your shoulder, right? It has the habit of rearing its head in labor and in birth. It has the habit of coming to the surface during pregnancy when our bodies are more in tune and just more connected to things that maybe we've had. We've done a really good job of suppressing and holding back. Mm -hmm. But until we've actually done the healing work, it's going to continue to resurface. So that's the basis for, um, you know, the new place that I opened in Yonkers is it's it's a holistic health and wellness center, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about healing and communal healing and different modalities to get to that. And I think that that has to be the forefront of how we think about approaching um, improving birth outcomes and just maternal health and and wellness in general. Because if we're operating from a place of being so deeply abused or damaged or hurt and we haven't had an outlet to speak about that and heal from that we're going to continue to perpetuate the same things yeah i agree with you i think i think it's important that definitely childbearing years and education and just directing people towards that um i'd want to ask your your thoughts on recently two mexican mm-hmm. doulas um yeah. maite and and I had her on my podcast. I'm drawing a blank right now. They uh, Mujer de la Tierra or is Mujer de Maite? la Tierra. Yes, Maite and Mujer de la Tierra. 
are, we're talking about cultural appropriation, right? Yep. And, and the use of the reboso and the use of the reboso in trainings. Um, and they asked this several organizations to stop the use of, right. of that. And then one of the organizations came out with a letter from some other Mexican midwives, um, countering that they're okay with using, with, with them using it as if to say, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you'll have some that are for it. And then you'll have others that are like, no, I'm going to side with Massa. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am appalled by the fact that here we are again in another situation where we are not being listened to. Like there's a greater message here. And that message that they're trying to convey is that this is not fair. It's not just, and it's not, it's not like, it's like when forceps were introduced and everybody's using forceps. Did we need forceps for women's bodies? We did not need forceps for women's bodies. Was there potential for it to do damage to people? Absolutely. Absolutely biggest thing here. I mean, yes, the misappropriation is already, you know, insults, right? Yes. But then you're going to add insults to injury with the fact that you could be harming somebody. Yes. This is not this is not yours. Yeah. This is not native to you. Mm-hmm. And if you feel so strongly about having it included in your training, then let it be, you know, presented and taught by somebody who this is their culture. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer of there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. However, we know that this was not a Eurocentric, you know, it, model. Definitely. That did, right. That much we do know. Um, so, yeah, you know, the fact that, OK, you got a few, you know, um, indigenous midwives to say, oh, no, we're OK with it. Well, they're not the voice for everybody. No. And there are so many more that are saying this is not this is not right. Mm-hmm. You know, you should not be profiting off of this. And this country has a history of, you know, profiting, um, you know, off of people and putting profit over people. And when I was thinking about, you know, that um, and, and, you know, after conversations about the misappropriation, I'm like, yeah, this this all sounds really familiar. Mm -hmm. Taking that doesn't belong to you. Black midwifery. Using it, right. And, you know, using it um, for your own, you know, profiting gain and not worrying about how it can harm people. I was like, oh, that, I mean, that's the essentials of the transatlantic slave trade. Exactly. Actual people. people use them to, you know, build your land, to nurture and, you know, to catch babies, yes. to breastfeed babies, all of these things to actually breed in rapid succession, all of that. And then when you're done with them, it's like, oh, no, we don't need you. Now yes. we've figured it out. We've we've observed you enough that we're going to take this and make it ours. And you're going to have to buy into how we say this is going. We're like, we taught you this shit. Like, yeah, we, exactly. we, you know what I mean? exactly. we, you took this from us. So it's the same thing and, you know, wanting people to genuinely apologize for that when it's not in their cellular DNA to do that because yeah. this is what they've been taught and yeah. what they've learned generation to generation that we we take something, we do with it what we want, we are quote unquote higher on the food chain or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever caste system hierarchy that you're using but you have people who that's what they've been taught their whole lives you're not going to get a genuine apology from them because that's in their cellular dna and these are generational traumas that need to be broken so that's why we keep speaking out and i'm so glad that um those two um doulas did speak out about it because when we do the healing work we know what we heal for seven generations before and seven generations ahead mm-hmm. so there's so many people now who are doing that hard work so we don't continue to perpetuate these same things generation to generation but if we don't do the work we can't be surprised when people are doing what they've been taught that's yeah. in their 
that's in their inner makeup. Exactly. Their, their inner makeup. Yeah. This has been an incredible conversation. I, I really appreciate you for taking the time and, and, and speaking with me. And if, if you wanted someone to have like one takeaway from, from this conversation, what would it be? Well, one takeaway we talked about so much. I know, I know. I guess I would say, you know, if you feel um, genuinely passionate about something and especially if it's to do with birth work and you know that it is a matter of literal life and death, that you don't let anything kind of get in the way of you attaining that goal. You know, I'll never say that, you know, the pathway to midwifery is linear and straightforward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. However, in the words of that preceptor that I was talking about, find another way. You know, there are many different ways um, based on the way in which you want to serve, how you want to show up, what your community needs. So if that's something that you're passionate about, you know, I implore you to look deeper and figure out a way in which to bring that to fruition because there's always a way where there's a will, right? There's a way. And as long as our people have, you know, a need that has to be met for our essential survival, Mm -hmm. that that's something admirable that, you know, I can get behind and applaud and encourage. Thank you, Nubia. It it really does mean the the world to me that you had this conversation with me because I've just been so conflicted um, with so much of this work. You know, yeah. and and even more so now with just trying to be there and and help people in ways that, um, you know, previously my practice did not have to. Um, right. But but more so, I feel like I think it's it's important that we keep talking about these issues for people to really truly understand, um, you know, where where we have more work to do and why it's important that we do the work. Can you, at the top of the show, we talked about the two places that you're going to be speaking about this week. This episode is going to be released this week. So could you tell people? So the first one is on Thursday, Mm -hmm. April 8th, and it's going to be, let me just pull it up. I believe it's at 7 p.m. Okay. And let me tell you who's on there. Um, okay, so it's going to be myself, Kimberly Seals Allers, Latham Thomas, and Terry Ann Bennett, um, moderated by Lauren Solomon. And that talk is called Liberating the Black Birthing Experience and Empowering Conversation about Reproductive Justice. And if you go to my Instagram page, I think um, in the comments, it's uh, at Metro Manhattan Links. Okay. That's where you can register. And then the other one is going to be on Sunday, April 11th. So the first day of um, Black Maternal Health Week. And that's going to be um, with the Safe, uh, the Black Coalition for Safe Motherhood. So that will be myself, um, Carmen Mojica, Nicole Jean-Baptiste, Shafia Monroe, and Taja Lindley. And um, we're also featuring Sarah Jones on that conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be from 4 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern. And again, if you check on my IG, I believe the um, link is there. You'll see the post. And, you and your IG follow. is Nubia, Mer- Nubia Earth Martin. Nubia or- Earth Martin or at Bur- Birth from the Earth. Earth. I have it on both pages. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was wonderful. I always love to be with you. 
Gracias. Thanks for listening to the Clear Birth Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find me on Instagram at the Clear Birth Podcast. If you want to send me an email, you can reach me at the Clear Birth Podcast at gmail.com. Adios. Hasta luego. Goodbye. Until next time.